Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. This is the traditional Palm Sunday scripture that we read uh, from one of the Gospels nearly every year. Uh, But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Mark chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you. And immediately, as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, what are you why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. So they went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, And they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jerusalem and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So any time that I have gone abroad, it's always taken me a little bit of time to get used to uh, the differences in culture. For instance, when I lived in Scotland... It took me a little bit of time to get used to the crazy accents. They actually thought I had a crazy accent, but they were the ones with the crazy accent. It took me a lot of time to get used to the pouring rain. It rained nearly every day. It took me time to get used to the food. And believe it or not, one of the big differences that I noticed while I was there is it took me time to get used to some of the new laws. In fact, in Scotland, it was legal to gamble on sports, believe it or not. Now, my idea of gambling is drinking milk after the expiration date. I'm not a big gambler and would not encourage you to gamble, but it was legal over there. And in fact, every time I would walk to class in Glasgow, I would pass by a a bookies or a betting house is what they called it. And there were people that would be standing out in front of the bookies watching TVs through the, through the window on horses or teams that they had bet on. And after walking by this bookies day in and day out, I actually would started to talk to one of the people that I saw there every day. It was a man named Winston, an older gentleman who every single day liked to bet on the horses. And he would just put a couple of pounds down, just not very much money, but he had a very strange strategy he would always bet on the long shot, the horse that was, was expected to never win, the horse that was long past his prime. And Winston told me he always lost. And so I asked him one day, well, why don't you change your strategy? And, and this is the story he told me. He told me the story of a horse named Temporary Tom. 
1928, in the Grand National, which is a huge race in, in Britain, Temporary Tom was the long shot, a hundred to one odds to win. He was not only a horse that had passed his prime, I'm not sure Temporary Tom ever had a prime. He was a terrible horse. In fact, he didn't even have a professional jockey riding him that day. It was just a friend of the family who was riding him. And as Temporary Tom was walking out to the track, somebody even yelled at him and said, Tom, you've got a great chance to win today if all of the other horses fall down. Well, that person turned out to be a prophet because when Temporary Tom started the race, there were 41 horses in the race and only 39 finished, or I'm sorry, only two finished. 39 horses fell down and Temporary Tom beat his opponent by a nose. Well, the odds were 100 to 1 that day, and so Winston's grandfather, who had put one pound down on Temporary Tom, won 100 pounds. And that's when he told me, the greatest triumphs come from the places where we least expect. That's a good lesson for us to think about, even though, like I say, I'm not encouraging anyone to gamble. It's a good lesson for us to think about as we start Holy Week. The greatest triumphs come from the places that we least expect. If you look in your Bible, I don't know about in your Bible, but in my Bible, when I read that passage from Mark this morning, the caption or the, the title over that passage was the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But when we read this passage from Mark, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't seem that triumphant to me. In fact, we like to pretend that there were lots and lots of people there, just like all the children who came in this morning, people who were just overwhelmed by Jesus, but at least in the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't seem that overwhelming. This triumphant entry into Jerusalem may have just been Jesus and his disciples trying to draw attention to Jesus. No, I, I think most of the other people who were there during that Passover, that year that Jesus died, were people, they were distracted by another parade that had taken place a few days earlier. It was the parade of Pontius Pilate, the governor of that region, coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. But Pontius Pilate wasn't coming in to celebrate the Passover. He was coming in to show the people what would happen if they got out of control. Pontius Pilate wasn't riding a donkey. Pontius Pilate was riding a great big war horse. A big horse, a triumphant horse. And he was led by a huge column of soldiers and followed by another huge column of soldiers, all of which had great shiny shields and were on big, strong horses themselves. This was a triumphant parade. And so you can't blame those people of Jerusalem if they were distracted by this other parade. A few of them might have said something like, all Romans go home, but I guarantee you they were impressed by the power. This is what triumph looked like. You contrast that to Jesus. Jesus, who not only doesn't have a war horse, but doesn't have a horse at all. He has to send his disciples ahead to help him find a colt, a donkey, to ride in on. Hearkening back to those words of Zechariah that tell us that the, the king of peace will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it begs the question, who do you think would triumph? A Pontius Pilate on a great big war horse, or Jesus on a donkey? That's the question we have to ask ourselves, is that meaning of the word triumphant? This Holy Week, what does it mean to be triumphant when we compare Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ? Now, 
We know what it means to be triumphant maybe here in our church. We know what it means to be a winning church, a church that's succeeding. We look at all those measurables that we have in our church, things like how many people are coming to church or or how great our our offering is each week or how our budget's doing or how how many people we get new visitors or new members that come. Those are the things that we use to, to determine if our church is triumphing or not. In fact, I remember back in the 1980s, the early 1980s, there was a church that actually started in Nigeria, and it was nicknamed the Winner's Chapel. That's what it was called, Winner's Chapel. And it was built as a church for winners to come to. If you wanted to be a winner, to learn about Jesus Christ, you would be happier and more joyful. You would gain prosperity all because you joined Winner's Chapel. And believe it or not, this church for a long time was one of the fastest growing denominations in the world. A thousand congregations all over the world, including right here in Florida. Contrast that to a church I told you about a couple of weeks ago. A church on Clifton Road in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a church that right about the same time that this church was forming in in Africa, they were looking around at the homeless population that was growing right there around their church. And so they decided they had to do something about it. And so they found ways to invite these homeless people into their church so that they had safe places to stay at night. And after a while, they were using more and more of their budget to help more and more homeless people who were coming to their church, which made some of their members a little more uncomfortable. And so as that homeless population grew, the membership in the church started to decline. Eventually, the the church really turned itself over to homeless ministry and reached out with other partners. And eventually, the church itself closed and became a full-time homeless shelter. And I ask you, which church was triumphant? The Winner's Chapel or the homeless shelter. We could ask the same thing about our own lives. What does it mean to be a triumphant person? What does it mean to triumph in this world? Well, in our lives, we would think it means to, to climb up that social ladder, to, that, to climb up and make more money, to have more accolades, to win awards, to get our name known out there in lights, for people to know us and honor us, and, and to gain more power and money for ourselves so that we can use that power and money to make ourselves happy. I remember a professor back in seminary when we were talking about what it, the process of being called to churches, the professor kind of laughed at us and said, you know, there are a lot more little churches out there in the world than big churches, but for some reason, a lot of our ministers feel called to those bigger churches that can pay a little more money. Isn't that interesting? To contrast that to one of my heroes, a man named Henri Nouwen. His story, he was a Catholic priest who was a very well-known writer and pastoral theologian, one that we've talked about a lot in this church. He had gained lots of accolades for himself. In fact, had actually become a a, a professor at Yale uh, Divinity School and eventually went on to Harvard Divinity School where he was a a professor there too. But all of this pursuit of, of writing books and gaining more accolades and gaining a great name for himself just left him feeling hollow inside. So one day, a friend of his, noticing that his, this discontent in his life, invited him to come over to a small community in France where he lived with a group of people who all were adults with special needs. 
And after living there for just a few months, Henri Nouwen decided to change his life. And when he came back to this side of the water, he moved to another community, a community of adults with special needs in Canada. And he spent a great deal of time living there, working with the people, with a roommate of his named Adam. And he realized for the first time what value, what love was all about. Because these people here in this community didn't love him because his name was famous or because he had written lots of books. These people in the community didn't love him because he was Henri Nouwen. They loved him because he was a child of God who lived in their community, who served them just to, and, and let them serve him. And for the first time in his whole life, it was there that Nouwen realized what it meant to be loved by God. And I ask you, what does it mean to triumph? Or maybe when we look around in our world, at our community, at our city, at our country, what does it mean to triumph? I think we can all watch the news and all of us agree that we're not really triumphing right now. There's a lot that we try to use to help our community triumph. We, there's a lot that we put our faith and our trust in. It has a lot to do with power. It has a lot to do with might. It has a lot to do with money. It has a lot to do with weapons. It has a lot to do with instead of pulling ourselves up and reaching for the stars, it has a lot more to do with holding our neighbors down so that they can't get equal to us. That's what we think of when we think of triumph. But you contrast that to a story that I told you a couple years ago. A story that Joanna Adams tells about a friend of hers named Robert. She went to Central Presbyterian Church every month to a, a, a homeless shelter there, to a foot clinic there that they did every single month where homeless men would come in and they would bathe their feet and, and shave off their calluses and put nice warm socks on their feet because they were walking around all day. And one person that she saw there every single month was a, a man named Robert, a very wealthy businessman who had to go to work right after the foot clinic. And so he would come every day dressed in a nice suit and a tie and nice red suspenders. He was a, a, a snappy dresser. And it made Joanna kind of laugh to see this really nice, wealthy, snappy dresser washing the feet of homeless people. And she asked him one day why he came every single month. And he said, well, if I'm supposed to be looking for Jesus, i got a better chance of seeing him here than anywhere else. And I ask you, who triumphed? What does it mean to triumph in a world like this? Well, that's the question we're supposed to ask ourselves every single Holy Week. What does it mean to triumph in this world? And that is the lesson of Holy Week that Triumph happens in those places that we least expect. That's not just the lesson of Holy Week, but that's the lesson of our Bible. When we look at our Bible, how many of us would have bet that Moses could defeat Pharaoh? How many of us would bet that David could defeat Goliath? How many of us would bet that those ragtag disciples, those fishermen and sinners, could be the foundation of the church? How many of us would bet that that small group of people that formed the church could defeat the empire of Rome? How many of us would look at the small, insignificant people of the world and say, that's where we might see God triumph? Most of us 
would bet on the winners. We all like to win. In fact, I like to win. And cheering for a lot of losing teams throughout my life, I can tell you it's a lot better when you win than when you lose. Most of us, seeing that Pontius Pilate walking in on that whore horse versus Jesus Christ riding in on a donkey, it's not even a contest. Barbara Brown Taylor says it this way. She says, Jesus has disciples. Rome has soldiers. Jesus serves. Rome rules. Jesus prays for His enemies. Rome kills their enemies. In the contest between a fox and a hen, we would bet on the fox every single time. It would look foolish to follow Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you something. Throughout this week, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to look foolish. Because by the end of this week, by Good Friday, every single person who follows Jesus in this story is going to look foolish. Every single person who follows Jesus is going to scatter and and run away and abandon Jesus. And Jesus is going to be there all alone on that cross. All of those disciples will look foolish for following Jesus this man riding on a donkey. But remember, the story doesn't end on Good Friday. There's still one more tale to tell. And the good news is, the greatest triumphs come in the places where you least expect it. To the glory of God. Amen.